0: As I mentioned last week, our elders this year have been reviewing our practices of baptism in the Lord's Supper. And last week, we as a congregation explored the sacrament or the ordinance of baptism together. And this morning, we do want to spend our time just thinking and reflecting deeply about the Lord's Supper. And about what it means uh, to honor Christ in it. It is an unbelievably rich symbol. I'll only scratch the surface this morning. I'm looking forward to next spring when the six weeks leading up to Easter our elders have decided we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper every Sunday uh, approaching Easter so that should be a rich time and we'll have ample ample to explore together as we think deeply about the gospel and this symbol of it Philip Yancey wrote in his excellent book What's So Amazing About Grace he said grace can be dissected like a frog But the thing dies in the process. And this morning, I don't want to dissect the Lord's Supper, which is about grace. I don't want to dissect it this morning and make it a thing that we observe coldly. Um, It is important that we think rightly about the meaning of this celebration. But more than that, it's important that we experience it rightly. So this morning, we do want to have an extended time of preparing our hearts and minds to draw near to the table this morning as the people of God. And to begin that, if you'd bow with me, I'd just like to pray for us as we ready our hearts. God, be kind to us. Help our wayward minds focus. Help our guilt-ridden hearts come clean. that we might approach this table in the way Jesus longed for us to when he gave it to us. May you be honored. May we be strengthened by the celebration of this table this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How did it all start, the celebration of the Lord's Supper? I suppose we could point to the night that Jesus was betrayed the night before he was crucified on our behalf, where we read in Luke 22, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. That's the first celebration of the Lord's Supper. But it actually begins... Far, far before that. Way back to when the first man and the first woman and their rebellion against God in the very first pages of your Bible and of history as we know it. Once they were deceived and then rebelled and their sin drove them out from the presence of God, the one who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, he began the long and costly pursuit of his wayward people. Pursuing them to restore them to himself. This is the story of the entire Old Testament. And the entire Old Testament points in its fulfillment to this celebration and what it represents. What does it represent? Well, it's a meal. Hosted by none other than Jesus himself. And on that night with his friends gathered in that upper room before he went to the cross, he shared with them a Passover meal where they remembered the great deliverance of God from the plague in Egypt that would have taken the life of their firstborn. They were spared by the blood of the lamb wiped on the doorpost. And all the anticipation... And the hope of the Passover was about to be fulfilled in the deliverance that would come the next morning when Jesus would go to the cross. At this meal, then, he instituted this pattern of bread and cup to forever remember his death until he comes again. And at this meal, amazingly, you and I are invited to join him. You and I are invited. Not just to a dinner about Jesus, but to a meal with Jesus. I don't know about you, but that is a pretty stunning invitation when I think about it. Um, I don't know if you've ever received an invitation that you did not deserve. Uh, it seems like I get those all the time, and I got one just recently. Um, I've been invited next month to speak at Southeastern Seminary's Chapel. And I am keenly aware that I do not deserve to stand in front of all those men with PhDs and THDs and whatever other kind of Ds that they have, and in front of all those students um, who are studying so diligently in theology, such brilliant minds. um, You know, I am a below average pastor who pastors an above average church who had dinner with the president of the seminary and that's how I got invited to speak at chapel. I know I don't deserve that invitation but I am absolutely sure that I do not deserve this one. He has invited you to a meal with him in his presence and in his honor. But it's not just you being invited, and it's not just me being invited. We are invited as the people of God to come together as one body to this table. In Paul's teaching on the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapters 10 and 11, there is a pervasive emphasis on the oneness and the unity of the body as we partake of the Lord's Supper. In chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, we read, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. And the language is that we come as one body, we come together, not so much as individuals, but together as a church, as one people. That is the beauty, I think, of what we did a few weeks ago at the outdoor anniversary service, where we weren't split into two groups. We all came together as one people, the body of Christ at Northway, and shared in the table together. At the table, our unity is to be on display. We are to come to this table Reconciled and restored, forgiving and being forgiven. What is served at the meal first, of course, is the bread. And the bread represents his body, which was broken for you. It represents his life and his suffering, a life lived without sin and a body racked with the greatest of sufferings. A body beaten, flogged, a crown of thorns, nails in his hands. His body was broken for you and for me. He suffered this out of loving obedience to the Father and loving sacrifice for you. What's served next at the meal is the cup, and it too represents his suffering, a suffering unto death because his life's blood is poured out on the cross for you and for me to cleanse us from our sins. The cross and the shedding of Christ's blood is what made possible what Isaiah spoke of. In chapter 1 of Isaiah, he says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. The cup represents the forgiveness of sins that comes to you through the shedding of Christ's blood. Jesus says it also represents the new covenant that is in his blood. It's what Jeremiah dreamed about when he wrote these words back in Jeremiah chapter 31. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. That's the new covenant, and it's full of the promises of God that come true for us through Christ. It was his blood that made us the people of God. It's his blood that bought our delight in God's law. It's his blood that bought our personal relationship with God. It's his blood that bought forgiveness for our wickedness and our sin. By his blood, his life blood poured out on the cross for us, Jesus makes all these promises of the new covenant yes in him for us. Why do we do it? Why since the inception of the church have people all around the world as the gospel has spread celebrated this table? Why do we do it this morning? Well, we do it to remember. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 that when Jesus had given thanks, he broke bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. We are a forgetful people. And the busyness of life makes it so that all of a sudden we turn around and a day is gone and the thought of Christ's love for us and his sacrifice for us has not even crossed our mind. Maybe not in a day, maybe not in many days, maybe not in a week. Jesus knew that we would forget. And so he put us in this place and gave us this command to remember. To remember his love for us and his sacrifice for us. So we do this to help us remember. We also do it to obey. This is not a great worship suggestion. This is not some kind of tip on how to do a really profitable worship service, this is a command that comes to us from our Lord himself. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And so we do this to obey our Lord and to show our love for him because Jesus said essentially, to love me is to obey me. We do it to obey And we obey because we love him so, this one whose body was broken for us and whose blood was poured out for us, even for us. We do it to be nourished spiritually. That's what meals do. They strengthen us. They nourish us. And when we eat of his body and drink of his blood, as we remember and we obey, we are being strengthened spiritually. Once again... We partake of the benefits of his death and on the, on the cross for us. And in that sense, as we come to the table, we find the grace we need to be strengthened spiritually and to follow him. We do it to draw near to him. Meals in ancient times, even as they are now, were times of fellowship. When someone invites you over for a meal, they desire your company. And that's why this is sometimes called communion, because it is a meal that we have been invited to, to share with our King, to enjoy his company and express our love and devotion to him. We do it to proclaim his death, Paul says, until he comes. We proclaim in this meal the gospel of grace that for sinners like us, there is a way for us to have a relationship with a holy God through the sacrifice of His Son. And the likes of you and me can come to a meal with the likes of Jesus because of what He has done on our behalf. It's quite an honor, really, to come to this table. I would contend that it's the greatest honor of all. And so you have to wonder, when you receive an invitation like that, how do you prepare? How do you get ready to accept an invitation like this? It is critical that we prepare. Um, it is a sacred honor with grave consequences for those who would treat it as commonplace. Listen again to 1 Corinthians 11. Whoever eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep or died. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. See, in preparing for this great, sacred act of worship, we have to first recognize that it is just that. It's not just something we do. It's not just another religious act we go through the motions about. It is the most intimate act of worship that's given to God's people. The great king of the universe has requested the honor of your presence at a meal in his presence and in his honor. He has invited you. So we should come humbly to the table. And we should, as Paul said, examine ourselves. And this is a great occasion as you ready yourself for the Lord's table to pray these great exemplary prayers of King David. He prays in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He prays in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. And those are great scriptures and prayers to pray as we ready ourselves to come to the table. But the special concern in preparing for the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11 seems to be sin that is relational. When I sin against you and when you sin against me. So when you come to the table, it's important to reflect have you have you wronged someone? Have you become estranged from someone? Did you let the sun go down on your anger? Did you provoke your children to anger? Have you truly honored your father and mother? Have you taken advantage of someone in need? Have you been prejudiced towards someone of a different race or class or culture? These are the kinds of things that Paul says examine yourself and forsake those things before you come to the table. We should examine ourselves and repent and commit to give to others the grace that's been lavished on us to forgive and to seek forgiveness and to come to the table to find the grace we need in our time of need. What about preparing children? to come and share in the Lord's Supper Um, really the same issues that prepare a child for baptism are the issues that are relevant in preparing them for the Lord's Supper Um, last week we talked through those fairly carefully and I would encourage you to pick that message up from last week if you missed it but in fact baptism itself is the perfect preparation to come to the Lord's table baptism represents our entrance in faith in Christ, into the church, into the body of Christ. And the Lord's Supper, with its ongoing repeated emphasis, represents our walk with Christ as the body of Christ. And so it's a logical and natural progression that we ready our children for baptism as they profess faith in Christ. And then after being baptized into the church, they take of the Lord's Supper, representing their desire to walk with Christ as part of our church family. So our elders recommend to you that once your child has been prepared and then baptized, that's the time that's best suited for them to be prepared specifically to partake of the Lord's Supper. And a very helpful brochure on our children's website that Russ and Stephanie Jackson put together is available for you as parents, and I would encourage you to pick that up highly. One last question that's really relevant as we prepare ourselves to come to the table this morning. What if I had a bad week? What if I had a really bad week? Can I come to the table even then? And I was really helped by these directions that I read this week. It says, it depends on the transaction of the moment, not the quality of the week gone by. Nobody brings a successful week to the Lord's table. Nobody. Period. We all call into question, and rightly, the effectiveness of our devotions or the quality of our communication with our kids. It's never been perfect. Therefore, we bring to the table our sin. And that's the point of the table. It's a recognition of our sin. However, what you do in preparation when you take stock of yourselves is that you confess all known sin. You do, Psalm 19, which says, Cleanse me, O God, of my hidden faults, and hold back your servant from presumptuous sins. You know, sometimes it's after a bad week, after a really bad week, that we are aware better than at any other time how much we need the table, how much we need to draw near to Christ and be strengthened, how much we need to worship and obey and affirm our love for him once again. So yes, if you've had a bad week, you should come to the table. In these next few minutes, it's a chance for us to ready ourselves for that privilege. To think and reflect together upon our sin and forsake it and then come to the table. At Northwake, the Lord's table is open to anyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ and is walking in fellowship with him. That you are willing to confess your sin and fight against them. Not that you've had a perfect week or even a good week, but that as you come this morning, you're willing to confess your sin and come to Christ for the strength you need to follow him. So in these next few minutes, it's important to think about things like this. Did you have an argument on the way to church? Happens more often than you think. If you did you know you really need to make that right before you come to the table. Um, Did you raise your voice in anger this weekend? If you did, you really need to make that right before you come to the table. Um, Harboring a grudge? Resisting love? Did you dam up grace at the edge of your property rather than passing it on to someone else? need to turn from your sin this morning and confess it and then then as Hebrews says then let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need because you and me almost unbelievably have been invited to a meal in Jesus honor and in his presence right now So if you bow with me, let's prepare to remember our Lord's death and his love on our behalf. Jesus, we remember you. We confess that this week was marked by forgetfulness once again, but right now, we remember you. And we remember your suffering, the beatings and the whippings and the crown and the cross and the nails. We remember. And we remember that it was not for anything that you had done, but it was for what we were yet to do. You were bearing our sins. You were suffering on our behalf. You are taking our place and bearing the wrath of God that should have been ours.